Well, good evening, everybody. And uh, I've got two questions that I'm sort of asking myself right now is, uh, how do I follow that? And how did I end up here? Um, and how, how I'm going to follow that, I, I don't know. But hopefully the Lord will give me something that will uh, continue to bless everybody in the room and everybody listening online. Uh, how did I end up here? That's a very long story. A lot of you might not even uh, know who I am. My wife, my family, and I, we've uh, only been coming here regularly, full-time, since October of last year, and that was when everything switched, or that was after everything switched to two different services, so it's almost like two different families, and it's nice Monday nights, Wednesday nights, life groups, we can all connect again so that we're not just two separate groups going to church in the same building, but at two different times. So that's why a lot of you might not know me, my family. My name's Todd, my wife Regina back there. We have uh, three kids in town, one out of town, and uh, we're just very, very thankful to be here. Uh, it's, it's amazing. The, just, just the amount that my family has grown since we've been here, uh, especially with the youth. The youth group here is like nothing I've ever seen anywhere, and we are just so thankful. And just, I, I could go on and on just thanking everybody that we've met, the pastors, worship team, uh, but pastor gave me a job to do. Uh, and that's how I ended up here. Uh, those of you who may remember several weeks ago, pastor was talking about we're transitioning away from uh, life groups, we're going into the uh, session where it's going to be Wednesday night Bible studies, and he wasn't sure whether he was going to do uh, prophecy or creationism. And it just so happens we were talking after church like we usually do and bumped into Pastor and Ashley as they were leaving. And I said, hey, Pastor, just a thought. Uh, I really think you should target on creationism because it's very, very important, and I'll explain why later. And we had a little short conversation. And uh, I should have known. You give a pastor a suggestion. Next thing you know, you've got a task to do. Well, of course, that was Sunday, Monday after prayer. He's like, hey, you know what? I was thinking about that creation thing. We should tag team it. Let's do it together. So I'm like, okay, you're calling. I'm going. So that's how I ended up here. Um, and thankfully, this is right up my alley. I am a nerd. And this is nerdy stuff. This is not going to be stuff where we're going to be uh, a lot of hurt, hooting and hollering and everything. It's, it's, I'm going to try to make it interesting. But uh, proving that the Bible is true is, uh, it, it can be dry sometimes, but I hope what I have to say is going to touch people and help them understand that Genesis is true. Genesis is not a story. And why is it important? Why is that important? Isn't it just, uh, well, let's go to Acts 2, 31. Everybody uh, has, uh, is familiar with it, or most people should be familiar with it. Uh, did it, did it. And you know what? To, apparently, I gave you the wrong one, so I will just read it. Um, now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's awesome stuff. It is true. It is very important, and I agree with it entirely. Moving on, we go to Matthew, actually moving backwards in Scripture a little bit, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, 
Let's focus on 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these shall follow those that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. They shall drink any deadly thing. It shall not hurt them. They lay hands on them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, let's back up a little bit. It goes to those that believe. What is it we're supposed to believe? Scripture answers that question also. If we go to uh, Acts 20, 27, very short, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Move into 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 17, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, if we look back when this was written... When uh, this letter to Timothy was written, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What were the scriptures at that time? Pretty much the laws of Moses, the Old Testament, the, Old, the New Testament was still in process. So when we're told here in scripture that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that means the whole thing. Not just the parts we like, not just the parts that are comfortable, not just the parts that are easy to understand, but the whole book. We need to believe the whole thing. And that's why it's important. And guess what? Satan knows this too. He is real, he is alive, and he knows that we need to believe the whole thing. And my personal belief, I can't prove this with chapter and verse, but I believe doubt was actually the original sin. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, eating the actual forbidden fruit was just an act, an outward act of a sin that had already taken place in their heart, the sin of doubting God's very words. And Jesus tells us this also. He tells us that if I were to look lustfully on someone, I have already committed adultery in my heart. If I hate someone, I have already committed murder. So it's not a matter of just, okay, we, we love the New Testament. It's the fun stuff. It's the good stuff. we got to believe the whole thing because Satan knows the whole thing is true. But if he can sow a seed of doubt in the very opening words of Scripture, in the beginning, God created. If, if he can sow a seed of doubt, that's where he's going to sow it. And it's a short trip from there. Well, you know what? Maybe God didn't really create everything. Maybe there was this big bang that we'll talk about later. Maybe, maybe it's evolution and God sort of tweaked it a little bit. No. God created in six literal days. And we're about to dive into some things here that are going to help us understand that. I'm going to bring it to everybody what uh, Pastor St. Clair in Indiana would call Gerber style. 
I'm going to try to make it uh, as, as easy to digest as possible because it can get a little, little deep in the weeds sometimes. But let's go into an example. Wow, I'm way ahead in my notes already. Uh, I got a story about uh, our daughter Kirsten and how this is very important and how the schools are dealing with this. She's, uh, she's in college, she's in Oakland University, and she was forced as one of her prerequisites for teaching to take an evolution class. And the primary text was Darwin's Origin of Species. That is basically the Bible, the go-to book for evolutionists. And she's a straight-A student. She's got a scholarship, a full academic scholarship to Oakland. She is brilliant. She was, at, she was valedictorian at her high school. She is an amazing student. The final, lesson, or the final paper was on origin of species. And you could take a pro or con approach to it. And she wrote a brilliant paper. It destroyed Darwin's theory of evolution. It, sh it showed that she understood the theory, but she blew it up. She got an F. Failed her on it. It was, it was an amazing paper, and that's what's going on in the schools today. They don't want our kids to understand the truth of creation. They don't want our kids to know the Bible. They want us to just be blindly going through life with our kids learning things that are contrary to what are true so they can sow those seeds of doubts. Regina, my beautiful bride, suggested, you know what, just as a matter of uh, example, to see what they're teaching in the schools these days, why don't you reach out to our high school, our local high school, where Caitlin goes. See if we can get a copy of anything that they're teaching regarding the origins of the universe, origins of life. My request was denied. They don't even want parents to see what's being taught these days. So that's why it's important. So today we're just going to go through some things so that when you hear things about creation, when you hear things about evolution, when you hear things uh, about the Big Bang, you might want to stop and think and maybe go do a little research and, and, and learn a little bit more deeper than we have here so that when people are questioning your faith, you'll have a ready answer. Basically, there's two views on how everything came to be. The true view is creation. God created everything, including Adam, approximately 6,000 years ago. How do we know this? The genealogies, that those boring parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over, including myself. You go through the genealogies, and you can see that uh, the earth is approximately 6,000 years old. Then Noah and the flood were approximately 4,500 years old. And we're going to see later that the flood story is huge when it comes to proving creationism is true. And then uh, Jesus approximately 2,000 years ago. Then you've got the contrary group that think uh, the Big Bang happened about 13.7 million years ago. Earth, about 4.5 billion years ago. Human life about 3,000 years ago, and life itself on Earth beginning as tiny little formless creatures in the ocean approximately 4.3 billion years ago. So if we go to Scripture and see what, what the Bible actually says about this, the word used in Genesis 
is yam for day. In the first opening verses of Scripture, Jesus said, or the Lord, the Lord God said, He created the heavens and the earth, created everything in day at a time, day at a time, day at a time. And at the end of each section, we see the words, There was evening, there was morning, the first day. There was evening, there was morning, the second day. The word yam means day. And it is true, there are sometimes yam could mean long periods of time. That's absolutely true. I'll give that up. I'll, right here, I'll admit that. However, every time that word yam in Hebrew is used and in conjunction with evening or morning or a number, it means one 24-hour period. Every other time it's used. So here we've got scripture saying we've got evening, morning, and a number. It's like God saying, hey, it's a day, it's a day, it's a day. It's clear that he meant a day. So let's talk about the Big Bang. This is the fun stuff. This is, this is literally what Big Bang Theory people believe. In the beginning, there was nothing. Then suddenly, there was something. But an incredibly small something. They never explain where that incredibly small something came from. The something exploded into everything because nothing was there to stop it. Therefore, everything was nothing that became something all by itself. Then some of this stuff sprang into life over billions of years, kept growing and changing, and here we are, freak accidents of nature with real, no, real, no real purpose or meaning. That's Big Bang Theory evolution. And it may sound a little sarcastic, a little harsh the way I put it, but it's true. They would have to admit that everything I said there about their theory is true. They would rather use things like string theory, quantum physics, multiverse, words that sound scientific. But break it down, what I just read is true. Now, if we look more at the no-God theory, it gets really, really interesting when they, uh, they try to explain things. Scientists over the last several years have been able to determine the total amount of stuff in the universe, total amount of matter in the universe. And they've calculated this all, and they've determined how much there is, and they ran into a big problem. They realized there's not enough stuff, especially around the galaxies. Because galaxies, almost all of them spin on themselves. And as they're spinning, as you've seen any child do or anybody spin, things tend to spread out and fly out when things are spinning. Gravity is what's supposed to be holding everything together. Gravity comes from matter. Gravity comes from stuff. Well, they've calculated, these are secular scientists that don't believe in, the, in creation. They believe in the Big Bang. They've calculated that we're short stuff on a huge scale. They think we've only got about 50 or 60% of the stuff we actually need to hold everything together. Well, that's easy. I've got an answer for that one. We go to Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Did I give you the right one this time? Yes, indeed. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And here it comes. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. God is just, he's holding everything together. I know this. You know this. But the scientists, they think they know better. So you want to know what's holding things together for them? Get a load of this. They came up with dark matter. Has anyone ever heard that term before? Not talking about a black hole. Those are real. Those exist. But dark matter. They think the universe is filled with dark matter, holding everything together. But they can't see it. They can't touch it. They can't interact with it. They can't, they can't do anything with it, and they've never actually seen it. They made it up. But that's what they're putting their faith in. Dark matter. I'll read from uh, Merriam-Webster, the definition of dark matter. Non-luminous matter, not yet directly detected by astronomers, that is hypothesized to exist to account for various observed gravitational effects. That's just goofy. I, it's goofy. Dark matter? Come on, people. You can do better than that. Well, they did. Let's move on. Scientists looking at the stars have determined over the years and years and years of observation that the whole universe is expanding. They used to think that either the expansion was going to slow down and come to a stop and just stay there, or eventually gravity was going to suck everything back together and boom, we got a new big bang. And those were the two opposing theories. Now, almost all scientists, and once again, I'm not, when I say scientists, I'm not talking about the Christian scientists that know the truth. I'm talking the scientists that make stuff up. They all agree that the universe is expanding, and it's expanding faster and faster and faster and faster. In fact, something is pushing the universe apart faster today than it was yesterday. Faster than, it's like someone's got their foot on the gas pedal of the universe. And they all agree, this is happening. Well, I know why it's happening. We can go back to Scripture. Isaiah 40, 22. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. I just picture God just going, whoo! throwing it out there. And that's exactly what he told us he was going to do. And he did in uh, Isaiah here. But let's go to what the scientists have to say. These brilliant scientists. They invented a force. We already saw they invented dark matter. Now they've invented a force. Guess what they called this force? Dark energy. They can't touch it. They can't interact with it. They've never detected it. They just assume it exists because it has to, because something's pushing on the universe. This is nuts. I know what's pushing on the universe, somebody that I can interact with, somebody that I can talk to, somebody that I can love and loves me is doing this. Not some made-up force. Okay, so let's talk about evolution. Evolution. 
The evolutionists believe in evolution. Well, I do too. But there's two different kinds of evolution that we have to be careful of. There's macroevolution and there's microevolution. And microevolution is just small changes within a species dependent upon their circumstances. And this is exactly what Darwin witnessed on the Galapagos Islands when he wrote his big thesis and became a book and became uh, the, basically the big belief for evolutionists. He saw that there were adaptions. These animals that were stuck on the island couldn't get out. They adapted to their circumstances. That's microevolution. That's normal. Look at a dog. All dogs are dogs. But you look at our dog that's about like that, up to a dog like that, that's microevolution. They're, they're, they're adapting. They've been bred that way. But they're still dogs. You can get people that are separated from the rest of humanity in some remote jungle, and they will have some very specific, unique traits just to them because they haven't mixed the gene pool with everybody else. That is microevolution. It happens. It's normal. It's real. But you don't have cats turning into dogs. That's macroevolution. That is what they've hung their hat on. That's where they say, you know what, this little amoeba here started four billion years ago and then became a bigger amoeba, then a trilobite, and then a... It, and poof, you got people. That, that's actually what they believe, where one species actually changes into another. And it's just not true, and the science proves it. Back to our schoolhouse books, the geologic column. Has anyone seen pictures of the layers of the earth? I know we saw some graphics uh, last week, but where you've got this layer on top of this layer on top of this layer on top of this layer. And in the textbooks, it looks awesome because in the textbooks, they've got these little creepy crawlies down here and then little bigger animals here. And it goes all the way up and they've got it all aged and it all looks pretty. Problem is, ask any geologist. That doesn't exist anywhere in the earth. There's nowhere in the earth you can carve into a mountain, dig a hole, where you're going to find all the layers in order with the right fossils there. doesn't exist, but it looks great on paper. And if it's on paper, it must be true, just like the Internet. There are layers in the Grand Canyon that are upside down. They are, according to evolutionary theory, you've got the oldest stuff at the bottom, the newer and newer and newer and newer and newer. But the Grand Canyon, certain areas, you've got all the stuff on the bottom, newer, newer, oh, older, newer, newer, newer. It doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. How do they date these layers of rock? Pardon? Carbon dating. Carbon dating can be used to date relatively newly deceased animals. It's in, it's, I'm glad someone brought up carbon dating. A lot of these dating methods simply don't work, and they're not reliable. Carbon dating uh, is basically they take an assumption of how much carbon an animal or a plant had when it died, carbon-14, and it degrades over time into carbon-12, and they determine how, much, how long that should take, and they can figure out how long ago this, this animal died. Only works on living tissue, and it only is good up to a maximum of 40,000 years, and that's from the guy that invented it. This is going to blow your minds. The way they actually date the rocks, 
is by the fossils they find in those rock layers. But how do they date the fossils? By the age of the rock layer. What? They're dating something to... It's, a, it's circular reasoning. It makes no sense. But if you look it up, that's actually what it says. They date the rocks by the fossils. They date the fossils by the rocks. That's ludicrous. That's nuts. But let's go back to some of the dating. I wasn't even going to go into the, the dating processes, but someone brought up carbon-14. That's great. There's some other dating methods called radio, isometric radio dating, something along those lines. Uh, basically, it deals with uh, decaying argon and potassium. And What they do is they, this is something that can actually date freshly formed, or I'm sorry, they can actually date volcanic rock. Once rock comes out of the ground as a volcano, solidifies, the clock starts. And they believe that they can properly date those rocks. Scientists think they can do that. So that is one form, and sometimes it does work. But Mount St. Helens happened in 1980. Some creation scientists went out there and dug up some of the lava, sent it out to be dated to at some... Uh, Laboratories that typically do evolutionary work. Didn't tell them it was from Mount St. Helens. Just told them, hey, we got some lava rock. Can you date it for us? They knew it would only be on the surface of the ground since 1980. Because that's when the clock starts. Not when it's in the ground as lava. Well, you wouldn't be surprised that the dates came back 350,000 years old, 180,000 years old. One of them almost hit a million, if I remember a million years old, from this rock that they knew was like 30 years old. That's the dating systems generally don't work. Now, we'll go to this one. Now, we talked about rock layers and fossils and everything. It's amazing if you look at the earth through the lens of the Bible especially Noah's flood. It's not really his flood, it was God's flood, but Noah was there, obviously. And uh, you look at what would have happened to the earth during that time, and it accounts for so much of what we see in geology these days. Genesis 7-11. Lucas, I think you, he would have liked that. My son Lucas loves 7-11. But anyway, um, Genesis 7-11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. It didn't just rain, folks. The world was in turmoil. The great fountains of the deep are breaking up. The continents are dividing. Continents dividing. There's going to be volcanoes going off everywhere. There's going to be mud slashing around. It's going to be disastrous, obviously. Well, when you've got large amounts of mud just getting just deluged into the, the now worldwide ocean, it's going to compact into layers of mud. And then it's going to harden. And now you're going to have layer after layer after layer that later on in Scripture says mountains were raised up. So you've got this mud that comes flowing down. Then you've got layers upon layer upon layer and then you've got the mountains that are get raised up and there you go and that's what you see like when the kids were driving through Tennessee 
You see the mountain layers cut, carved into the side of the mountain. It's amazing. And that also accounts for something that's known as polystrate fossils. Now we're getting into the really nerd stuff. Polystrate fossils, what is that? The evolutionists would have you believe that each layer of rock that you see in the side of a mountain accounts for tens of millions of years of time to build those layers up. Well, they have a problem. They've got a lot of problems, but this problem deals with polystrate fossils. There are fossils out there, tens of thousands of them, that exist in this layer, this layer, this layer, and this layer. How can a fossil, how can a tree, how can any item survive millions of years to be fossilized to exist in all these major different layers? It can't. Physically impossible. But what does make sense to me is if you've got, say, a worldwide catastrophe like a flood, you've got major mud just getting just deluged down into the, the, the depths, you've got trees that are just getting blown from their foundations, basically turned into telephone poles, get waterlogged and sunk and thunk, right down through multiple layers of mud that then harden and solidify. Fits perfectly, oh, there you go, polystrate fossil. I didn't even give them that, that's pretty good. But each layer of ground is supposed to be tens, if not hundreds, of millions of years old. How could a tree survive? It couldn't. Sure looks to me like that was mud, and down came a, uh, a tree trunk right into the mud, just funked right through it. Thank you for bringing that up. That's awesome. And we saw this happen at Mount St. Helens. If you ever go back and look at historical footage of Mount St. Helens, you will see mats of trees floating with no roots, no, uh, no branches. They just got totally ripped from the earth, branches removed, floating as mats. And then over the course of the next several years, they got waterlogged, tipped sideways, a few more years, thunk, right to the bottom, right into several layers of mud that had just come off of Mount St. Helens. We see this as a natural processing happening, happening rapidly and right before our eyes. It doesn't take millions of years to, to, to have this happen, and it can't happen in millions of years. I don't want to beat up on, uh, on Darwin too much, because late in his years, he actually saw the, uh, the fault in some of his things. He actually started to see that uh, perhaps he got it wrong, perhaps evolution isn't correct. And I'm going to read a quote from Charles Darwin in a letter to a friend named Asa Gray dated June 18, 1857. I am quite conscious that my speculations run beyond the bounds of true science. I am in an utterly hopeless muddle. I cannot think that the world as we see it is the result of chance. And yet, I cannot look at each separate thing as the result of design. My theory is a mere rag of a hypothesis with as many flaws and holes as sound parts. I may have devoted my life to a fantasy. That's the guy that came up with this cockamamie story. That's the guy that invented this whole crazy idea. And I've got a lot more stuff to get through, but... 
Times are running short, so we're going to hit some real short. Some things you may want to look up on your own. Um, well, we talked about the rock layers being actually made out of mud. That's true. Uh, has anyone driven through the mountains, driven through a road, see the, the rock layers where they're actually curved and arching and bent? How could a rock do that? If that was laid down over millions of years and forced into solid sedimentary rock, how could it bend? It wouldn't bend. It would break. It would crack. But if it was mud from a worldwide flood, absolutely makes perfect sense. Did everyone know that uh, dinosaurs that supposedly died out 65 million years ago, that uh, we have found, not we personally, we have found, we have found bones of dinosaurs with fresh tissue. How in the world could that be 65 million year old tissue? Sure sounds to me it'd be more like, oh, two, three thousand year old tissue. Even the sun. Scientists know the sun is getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. It's, it's a fact. They know from the thermonuclear reactions, hydrogen combining, becoming helium, it's getting hotter and hotter. Well, run the clock back. If you run the clock back as short as 100,000 years, where people supposedly had been on the earth for millions or for 300,000 years, just 100,000 years ago, the earth would have been too cold to sustain life. The sun is too faint for this, or would have been too faint for this to happen. And these are all scientifically determined facts. The, the magnetic field, the magnetic field that keeps us all safe from the sun's radiation, that's decaying. The sun's getting hotter but the magnetic field is decaying. They can measure the rate of decay. The magnetic field is, is going away. At the rate it's going away, it'll be gone in the next, I think it was the next like 30, 40,000 years. But how could it have been existence for billions of years if it's already going to be gone in just 30, 40,000? It, it, it's impossible. It's ludicrous. We talked about the carbon-14 comets. One, we got two things to go. One is awesome that I'll get to in just a minute. It really blows my mind, but we're going to talk about comets. Everyone has seen a comet, correct? Or sees pictures of a comet? Celestial objects that come swooping around the sun and go way back into outer space. What we see is their tail. Their tail is because they are basically evaporating. The sun is causing them to evaporate. They're basically dirty balls of ice. And they get close to the sun, sun's radiation hits them, they start evaporating. Well, if they've been doing this for billions of years, they should be all gone now. They should, they should have evaporated by now. There shouldn't be any more comets coming and going because they're all evaporating each time they come around the sun for billions of years. Science made up something else for that. They said, oh, well, we're going to make up this thing called the Oort cloud, O-O-R-T, Oort cloud. They can't see it, they can't touch it, they can't interact with it, they've never observed it, but they think it has to be there, otherwise we wouldn't have comets. This is the stuff they make up. And then this last one is my favorite. With DNA, they can actually see how long a, uh, a species 
has been alive or has existed as a species. They think they can do this. And it's called the DNA clock. With all the measurements they've done, they've done it on all different kinds of animals. None of them are nearly as old as they're supposed to be. None of them. They judge the mutations that happen at a regular basis, at a regular time, over a period of time, and they can try to clock back to see when a species first existed. And they're still working on the kinks, but the really cool, mind-blowing thing is they did it to people. And they determined, and these are secular scientists, and they're trying to rework all their stuff now because they don't like this. They can track all of humanity back to three women approximately 4,500 years ago. How many women were on the ark? There were four. It was Noah, his three sons, Noah's wife, the son's wives. But there's no account of Noah having another child after they got off the ark. So that leaves three women 4,500 years ago. And that's what scientists are now saying, uh-oh, we got a problem because now we can track back the entire human race to three women about 4,500 years ago. I've got a lot. I could go on for, I'm a nerd. I could do this for hours. You guys have been sitting for a long time. I want to get back to what we started the service with, and that's some awesome praise and worship. If you could come back up just for a minute and, and get us rolling, that would be awesome. Thank you. Wasn't that awesome? Praise God. I was, so, I was so interested that whole time. I mean, he's a great teacher. It was so powerful. Why don't we stand real quick, and we'll just sing a quick song, and um, we'll, uh, we'll dismiss. Um, I want us to sing. Uh, there's a song. We sang it, I want to say, we probably sang it maybe, I don't know, maybe two months ago. Uh, it's a song, and I encourage you guys to, to listen to it. It's uh, by Hillsong, and uh, it's called So Will I. And it's called, um, it's like another little subtitle. It's like 100 billion times or something like that. And it's just something, it literally is a song that walks from creation. It's a worship song that walks from creation from the beginning, and it basically narrows it all the way down to what it's really all about at the end. And it's, it's about, you know, he talks about eight billion souls, you know. Um, but there are lines in that, that that deeply affect, I believe, the, the body of Christ. And the reason that that song is so powerful is because we, we can look through science and we can look through uh, all these different things that we, that we have, you know, the ability to look through. I mean, thank God for Brother Wilcox for that because he, I mean, just using his mind like, he challenge, it challenges us, you know, it challenges us to say like, man, we have, we have so much information for us to be able to look into these things ourselves. And I promise you, the more you look into them yourself, the more it causes you to want to worship God. You know, the, the more it causes you to, to, to say, man, God is real. Like he really did create this whole earth in six days, you know? And, but there are lines in there that in this song specifically, that literally says, if the stars were made to worship, then so will I, you know, you know, if, if the mountains bow in reverence, so will I, you know, just beautiful, beautiful words. So I wonder if we could just lift up our hands and, um, 
ask the Lord to touch us right here. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the perfect, the perfect work, oh God, that you did, Lord, creating this earth, oh Lord. I know that we're not all perfect. I know that everything is not perfect right now, God, but when you first made it, it was good. It was right. And Lord, we're working and doing our best to try to get it back to the way that you had it. But Lord, I'm asking you first, before we start trying to jump into things and trying to jump into the stuff that we we, we, we want to, God, I'm, I'm asking you to just touch our hearts right now. Touch our minds, touch our spirits, God, to be in tune with the reason that you created us. All this stuff that we've learned tonight, all the stuff that we will study, oh Lord, we will use it to worship you more effectively. Jesus. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. Mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praise is still for then we'll sing again a hundred billion Oh